I've decided this evening to remain with the text of our banner. And I had an opportunity to talk to Brother Philip a little bit about the banner. And he said, Brother Gibb, I'm just making it simple this year. And I told him there's a phrase in engineering that says, you know, less is more. Arise and shine. And so this, this evening I'd like to read out of Isaiah 60. Starting with the first verse. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen. Upon thee, and the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thine eyes round about and see, all they gather themselves together. They come to thee, thy sons shall come from far, and thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. Then shalt thou see and flow together. And thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. The forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. The multitudes of the camels shall cover thee. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, and they from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense. They shall show forth the praise of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together unto thee. The, the rams of Nebioth shall minister unto thee. They shall come up with acceptance on mine altar, and I will glorify thy house of my glory. Who are these that fly as a cloud and as doves to their widows? Surely the isles shall wait for me, and the ships of Tarsus first to bring thy sons from far their silver and their gold with them unto the name of the Lord thy God and to the Holy One of Israel because he hath glorified thee. And thy sons of strangers shall build up thy walls and their kings shall minister unto thee. For in my wrath I smote thee, but in my favor have I had mercy on thee. Therefore thy gates shall be opened continually. They shall not be shut day nor night that men may bring unto thee the forces of the Gentiles, and that their kings may be brought. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve thee shall perish. Yea, those nations shall be utterly wasted. The glory of Lebanon shall come unto thee, the fir tree, the pine tree, and the box together to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious." The sons also of them that are afflicted, afflicted thee shall come bending unto thee, and all they that despise thee shall bow themselves down at the soles of thy feet, and they shall call thee the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas thou hast been forsaken and hated, so that no man went through thee, I will make thee 
and eternal excellency, a joy of many generations. Thou shalt also suck the milk of the Gentiles. Thou shalt suck the breast of the kings, and thou shalt know that I, the Lord, am the Savior and thy Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. For brass will I bring gold, and for iron I will bring silver, and for wood, brass, and for stones, iron. And I will also make thy officers peace and thine exactors righteousness. Violence shall no more be heard in the land, wasting nor destruction within thy borders, but thou shalt be called the walls of salvation and the gates praise. The sun shall be no more the light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee, but the Lord shall be unto thee everlasting light, and thy God thy glory. Thy sun shall no more go down, neither shall the moon withdraw itself, for the Lord shall be thine everlasting light, and the days of thy mourning shall be ended. Thy people also shall be all righteous. They shall inherit the land forever. The branch of my planting, the works of my hands, that I might be glorified. A little one shall become a thousand, and a small one a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in his time. I have a story. Some say that it's true. It's about some young men who went sailing on the ocean. It was a smaller vessel, and they boarded the ship and went out to sea. As they got farther out on the sea, the waves became higher and rough. After a few hours of turbulent waves and roughness, one of the young sailors began to feel very seasick. I don't know if anybody has ever been seasick. I have. It's an awful feeling. And this young man felt awful. And all he wanted to do and all he could do was to go down, down into the cabin where he would sleep and try to stabilize himself to feel better. And as he went down there and he stayed in his cabin, still very seasick, the waves began to get more rough. And then he heard commotion on the deck. Man overboard! Man overboard! And he felt helpless. There was nothing he could do. And then he heard the name of the man overboard, and he knew that was his friend. And he felt so helpless. And then he thought to himself, what can I do? What difference can I make? I'm seasick. I'm weak. 
I can barely move. And he saw a light, a flashlight, on his dresser. And he looked over there, and he thought to himself, if I can but hold the light through the portal of my cabin, maybe that can make a difference. And so he went over, went over to his desk and grabbed hold of the light, held it up to the portal as long as he could. until he could no more. And he grieved within himself, thought, thinking that he, he really made no difference. There wasn't anything that that would do to help. And he laid back down and went to sleep until he could feel better. And he awoke and he felt better. And he went up to the deck, and the first thing, of course, he asked about his friend. And they said, good news. Your friend was saved. We were able to save him. And so he, he went to his friend, and they, they talked about what happened and how he fell over. And then he conveyed to the young man that as he felt himself going under the sea, and he came up for one last grasp of the rescue effort. A light came through a portal and shone on his hand, and they were able to see him and pull him to safety. And he realized the light he had made a difference. When I think of this text, I thought of that story. I thought of how dark it is in the world we live in. When I found out that I might be used here at camp, I got on the Google and, and I just did some interesting searching for information. And I was a bit stunned. I mean, it really isn't anything new. I think most everyone here has seen how our society and where our society and its morals are headed. I wrote some things down, and I'll just briefly touch on them. 52% of eighth graders have used alcohol. 25% of those get drunk. 43% use illicit drugs, cocaine, heroin, or crack, substance abuse. Violence, 15% of the males in the schools today carry weapons. Few of us will forget, and certainly in the state of Virginia, just a few hours down on Route 81 here, about a deranged young man who went in and gunned down 32 of his students. Or about a man who went into a Mennonite schoolhouse and one after one 
massacred children. Or how about this? A a recent poll of 9 to 12-year-olds say the most watched TV show is ABC's Desperate Housewives. 9 to 12. And who can go on to say about the media of of someone like Ann Nicole Smith who basically tried to inherit the wealth of an old man and had a tragic death and became the most publicized mother ever probably in our history. And her her peer, Britney Spears, shaves her head and goes into a rehab, and that's the front page of our news. Or the tiff-taps of tit-tats between Rosie O'Donnell and Donald Trump. And I know some of you say, I don't watch that stuff, I don't care about that stuff. But the fact is, our nation does. And that's what people want to see, and that's what they want to hear. Our nation, our nation, some say we are living in a post-Christian era. You know what that means? Post means after. That means we're no longer a Christian nation. When you think about adultery on the rise and divorces and corruption in the school place and people cheating the system, we begin to see that there are no morals that anybody has. Everything is relative. Everything is okay. That's where we are in a dark nation. And you say, well, maybe that, that's always been the case. I don't think so for this nation. Oh, sure, you can go back to mankind. You can go back to Sodom and Gomorrah. You can go back to all the Roman era and those kind of things. But go down a few hours down to, to Jamestown. This was the 400th year celebration of Jamestown. It's a very... Beautiful facility down there. But you can visit the villages that landed there to start this nation. And you can, you can understand that church was an important part, spirituality was an important part of those people three times a day. And you could actually be put under punishment even to death if you missed too much church. I think of Isaiah and those from Richmond. Please bear with me just a bit. I had the message in Richmond before I came to camp, and I really just based it on our girls' group who sang Answering the Call. And I based it out of, out of Isaiah chapter 6. And I think it's It's good to understand the kind of world 
that Isaiah was in. I won't read all of the chapters, but I, I want to go down and go down to verse 8. And also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. It was almost like God is talking out to the general audience. Maybe he's doing that tonight. Who will go for me? Notice that God does not specifically talk to Isaiah until he answers. Then said I, here am I. And he said, go. Tell this people, go, arise, tell this people. And what was he to tell? Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and convert, and be healed. What does that mean? That means he would have to send a message to the people continually. He would not give up. And realizing that, he, he answers the question, then said I, Lord, how long? How long do I have to keep telling the people of this world? Because, you see, Isaiah lived in a time when Judah was prosperous. But the people were rebellious. The people of Israel lived in immorality. Isaiah would live through four kings, at least. The last good king would be Hezekiah, and the king that follow, I believe, Manassas, maybe, who would be the most evil king. And after that last king, Israel would be taken captive by Babylon. Judah would be taken captive by Babylon, Israel by Assyria. And that's the message he had to give until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate, and the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. Not a pleasant message. But we read in Isaiah 60 a promise. A promise of a light. 
a promise that God would give his people. And that's why I read all of the verses in this text. That once again, the people would dwell safely. That once again, God would shine his light and they would only, not only be a recipient of God's light, but reflect God's light to all nations. Some believe this happened when they came back to the land of Israel, but it also holds futuristic implications as well, that someday God will inhabit this earth. and establish his kingdom. That's a promise for his people. And as I thought about Isaiah, and I thought about the darkness that we live in today, I, I, have, to, I have to confess that I've, I've felt the Lord's pulling I felt the Lord working in my life on how to be that light. And the two questions that I have are, is your light reflecting and is it in view? When I think about our lights reflecting, I think how important it is to walk in the light, to be children of the day, to live a different lifestyle. Where, where I work at, we make semiconductor chips. We have some very precise measurements on wafers, on the thickness of those chips. It's at the angstrom level, typically 200 to 5,000 angstroms. I believe a hydrogen atom is one angstrom. Gives you an idea of the accuracy. The only way we can measure those thicknesses is to shine a very focused, perfect light on a very well-defined surface and measure how it reflects up. If the surface is tarnished, if it's incorrect, those readings are not valid. They're no good. And we have to decide whether we scrap the wafer. And I thought about holiness. I thought about Brother Doug's form, and I wasn't there, and I'm I understand it was very good. And so I think a lot of times we talk about holiness, the importance of it, and I would recommend 
you get a copy of that form. The Pursuit of Holiness. But the second question I have, and the one that has made the most impression in my life, and I want to share some of the things that have happened in the, in the last few years, is the question, is it in view? And I thought of, I thought of three things that help me to make my light in view. Three things I can do. First of all, I need to live in the world. Some people will say, well, Gib, don't you know the verses that talk about to be a friend of the world is an enmity with God? Yes. Don't you know about the verses that say, come out from among them and be separate? Or as Brother Doug said, without holiness we cannot see the Lord. Yes. But I also know what Jesus Christ prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. We are to live in this world. Read this whole chapter. And the next verse gives us the key to success of living in this world. And for those sakes, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. We live in the world, not of the world. The world is not a part of us. But the world needs a light. How are we lights? I've had some interesting experiences in the last few years. Been hanging around some drunks lately. Oh, you say, Gib, don't use that word. Well, if you go to an AA meeting, you'll find out that's what they call themselves. Was asked to go to a few of those meetings. Let me tell you, I was a little bit out of my comfort zone. You walk in there, and the first thing they say, oh, Pastor Gib is with us here. And uh, 
beads of sweater going down my back. But I was moved by those who were there. And we're not talking about people who have wronged their parents. And I'm not trying to categorize sin. All sin is, is wrong and unrighteous. But the level of sin that these individuals have committed in their drunken stupors, load up a pistol and play Russian roulette, and I listen to these stories about how after the third time they realized maybe God still wants them here on this earth. I talked to a young man who was there, and he looked me in the eye, and he said, Gib, he said, I found myself in a drunken stupor in a bathtub, and around the bathtub I had cocaine, and I was getting ready to get my next fix. And I knew that the next decision I might make might be my last. And that's when I decided to turn around. And I can't tell you what it was like to look into the eyes of this young man. But I'm here to tell you, when you live in the world, there are people like that who need to see the light. If you go to an AA meeting, the 12 steps to sobriety, step six, I think, is a spiritual awakening. And you say, oh, Gib, that's only the, the derelicts, the bums on the street. Oh, no. Don't be mistaken. This one drunk that I have, and he's, he's, a, he's a fine man. I don't mean to demean him with that statement, but that's what he calls himself. He's a doctor of anesthesiology. And he told me, he said, Gib, it got to the point where I was stealing drugs out of the operating room. They, didn't frown, they, they frowned pretty heavily on that. Made me a little nervous. But that's where we're at as a nation. But let me say something to, to the young people who are sitting here. And as teachers, we get teacher lessons. And, and, I, and you can see that typically... The largest group we have here are teenagers. My wife always looks at the numbers real quickly and she says, wow, there's not many converted this year. I want you to understand something. That you're no different than that man sitting in the bathtub with, lined with cocaine because if you leave this place without making a decision for Christ, it may be your last decision. I frankly don't understand it. Maybe I'm too simple-minded. I don't know. As I listened to Brother, Brother Dan talk about his message last night and never saying no, and I really appreciated that message, I thought about 
And it came to me as I, as I sat there and I listened to the message that 30 years ago, 30 years ago was my first camp as a believer. The year before that, the very first night I went to see Brother George, and I wanted to know what it is I had to do. It was a defining moment in my life. I wasn't here at camp last year. We just never know what befalls us as believers, as individuals. You heard a little bit of the testimony of my daughter who lay in a hospital bed with placenta previa, and the placenta's in the wrong place, and she was hemorrhaging, and we didn't know whether she would live or the baby would live. And this camp prayed, and they're both here this year. I can't tell you that life has been perfect for me. I've had major back surgeries. I've lost my jobs. But I look at how the Lord has brought me through this and that defining moment that I made 30 years ago and by brothers who held the light up and weren't afraid to do that made the difference. And God has blessed me more than I'll ever, could ever have imagined. And why, why, young people, would you not want to make that same decision? Will you have to be a statistic tonight? Is that where you have to go? The world is filled full of statistics and alternatives. The Bible says, how shall we escape if we shall neglect so great a salvation? The answer is, you won't. The Bible also says, it is appointed to every man to die, and then the judgment. I ask you tonight what's important. I thought about a young couple that I've had to work with in Richmond. I struggled with that because it was interracial, it was not members from the church, but the mother came to me and said, we want you to perform the marriage under the under the agreement that you will counsel them. And I felt a heavy burden. And after four or five meetings, because I found also that they were living together, I came to the verse about how fornicators will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And they both glared up at me. And they said, no one ever told us it was this bad. It's not easy being a light. I was moved by the funerals that I attended of our dear brother George and brother George Pamer as well. 
and found out some of the charities that they wanted their money to go to, life pregnancy centers and of the sort. Where is our light shining? I wish, and I have to plead before you, that I would, I would much rather just gather on Sundays in a nice, comfortable building, making sure everything is just right and everybody agrees just the right way. And I, I would love that. But I think of, of the ministry of Jesus, how he healed an old sick woman, how he met a woman in adultery, how he met a woman at the well with seven wives, how he went to the lepers, how he went to the houses of sinners and healed sick people, paralyzed people, even a lunatic hermit who was demon-possessed. That's where Jesus went. Sure, he went to the synagogue. We read about that and heard about that already this week and preached out of Isaiah. But then he went to the people. It's amazing at camp how things transpire sometimes. I I was sitting in the back last night thinking a lot about these very things, thinking about how the Lord has pushed me out of my comfort zone in so many ways that, frankly, I get nervous and I get a little intimidated. And a brother approached me and said, would you like to start a prison ministry in Richmond? I almost couldn't believe it. Once again, the Lord is pushing. Once again, the Lord is asking. Once again, the light needs to shine in a dark world. And what could I say to that brother? I thought of The words in Matthew, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set his sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. 
Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. Sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And I don't think I have to read to you what happened to the goats on the left who did not do those things. The prophet Isaiah was a light. We have been given the responsibility of carrying the light. We live in a darkened world. to hold up your light and be used by God. 